word is great. Amen? Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. The book of Romans, the book of Romans, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. When you got it, say so. All right, I didn't hear a lot of so's, so I'll wait. Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. When you got it, say so. so. There we go. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God, with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to a, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if, by some means, now at last I may find a way and the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your word that is true. Thank you so much for the liberty that we have in your presence. Thank you so much because you are our king and we can worship you because of the blood, because you are the worthy lamb of God. And so we humble our hearts this morning and we ask that you would open our ears, Lord God, that in these next few moments that you would captivate our minds and that you would keep us focused in your word. And Lord God, not just today, but as we walk through this book together, I just pray that our faith would be built even stronger and that you would be glorified in us and that as our faith is built, that we would share that faith with a world that desperately, desperately needs it. God, help us to do what you say and respond to you in faith. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, I want to make sure that you um, get one. So raise your hand um, and just hold it up there, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. Super important that you're able to follow along. Um, today, especially, there is a little bit more information in this outline than um, usual. Um, 
because I'm laying the foundation for the book of Romans. So there's some stuff there that I definitely want you to have. Um, and also, as, as always, listen, I want to I challenge you. I mean, I do this every week because I want to remind you, you are a disciple of Jesus. And as a disciple of Jesus, you are called to make disciples. And making disciples is sharing God's word with other people, whether it is for salvation or edification, right? Making disciples is not an either or, it's a both and. And so we share the gospel with those who don't know Christ, and we share the gospel with those who do know Christ. I mean, Paul is here telling us that he's going to share the gospel, but it, it is us sharing God's word, not only for those who don't know Jesus, but for those who do. And you know what? You might have some friends that um, are kind of on the fence in their faith. They're not really walking with Jesus, and they need to hear this as well. And so I would encourage you, I want to challenge you so much to sit down with them, walk through the book of Romans with them as we're going to walk through the book of Romans. Um, this is going to be a fun, fun time. Uh, like I said, we're going to be here for a while. This is the, the series is entitled um, The Foundations of Faith, and that's what the book of Romans is. And so um, if you look at your outline there, you'll see in any building project, the foundation is the most critical component of the stability of the building. Uh, if we don't have a solid foundation, uh, the building can't go the way that it should, right? Things are going to crack. Things are going to fall apart later on. If you're going to build high, you got to dig deep. Are you here? That's just a reality. You can't, you can't build high if you didn't dig deep. Like a building like this, like our building right now, if we tried to go to a second story and do that, we wouldn't have the capacity to do that on a foundational level because this building was not prepared foundationally to build higher. And so we can only support certain things. And so the most important thing is that this includes the quality of the materials used as well as the manner in which the foundation is laid. And so number one, you got to have quality material. You to have solid foundational stuff, but you also have to lay it right. I'll never forget this building. Um, this is the first building that I ever actually saw uh, the foundation as it was being poured and everything that went on. I mean, I worked construction when I was around 16, 17 years old, but I didn't do this part of the construction. And even in my own house, I didn't watch them lay the foundation. But here, I happened to be here the day that they were laying the foundation. And what I realized is that there was a lot of prep work even before they started pouring the cement in this place. They, I mean, they they, they, they trenched this thing out. They made sure that the ground under where the foundation was going to be was solid. Everything was put in place. And so there was a method to how they did it. They didn't just come and just throw some cement together, right? And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm from the old school, right? And so I, I remember back in the day, you know, you would just go, and I, I'm just saying, like, you would mix cement, you know, on a piece of wood somewhere, mix some water, and just, you know, take a shovel, and that was it. And then you would do whatever it was you were doing. You didn't worry about permitting or anything like that. And, you know, we get upset with people about permits, man. But let me tell you something. Permits save lives. Are you here? They cost money for sure, and they're pain, absolutely, but they save lives. I assure you, there's people that are, that are grateful, and they don't even realize it for the permits that had to be pulled for certain buildings and things like that. There has to be codes, and so when we look at the book, the epistle, or the letter of the, uh, of the, to the Romans, it contains both gospel material and a methodical layout for us to ensure we have a solid foundation to build uh, uh, to uh, building our faith in Christ, and so we talk about that every week. We engage people where they are, building faith in Christ. 
And so how do we build faith? We'll find in the book of Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so the book of Romans is such an amazing book. Um, most theologians, I mean, they, if, if there was one book that you could not do without, it would be the book of Romans. The book of Romans has so much truth in it about faith, about what God has done. And so it's, it's a book that is worthy of walking through. And there's a quote there that I want you to follow along with me. Uh, Martin Luther, who was the great reformer, he said this. He said, Roman, Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. I read that again. It's up here. If you read it, you can read along. Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know, it's, should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. My hope is that as we are in this book together, that you will grow deep in your faith and that you will understand who God is. And so the book of Romans, just to give you a couple of facts there, if you're taking, you don't have to take notes because these are in your outline there. But the key theme of this book is the righteousness of God. And what do I mean by that? The righteousness of God. It is the glorious truth that God justifies guilty, condemned sinners by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. That is what this book is all about. There is nothing greater for us as believers than to have that down deep in our soul. The key verse is what is going to be our memory verse, and it is where we will end today in verse 16 to verse 17. And it is verse that we, must that, that we must memorize, that we must ponder on. It is the verse that moved this guy, Martin Luther. And I want you to understand, Martin Luther was, an, he's, he was a monk uh, back in the days, like the 1500s. He was the father of the Reformation movement. And he was a, a Catholic monk, and he was a guy that understood the depravity of his soul. As he looked into God's law, as he looked into God's word, he realized how much of a sinner he was. I mean, he grasped this reality. You know, it's funny because I've met, and this is not funny, this is really sad, but, I, but I've met Christians, I know Christians, that they don't know the depth of their sin. They don't recognize that, and he's the one that coined the phrase, sinner, saint, because he understood that even though he was trying to serve God, he was, he was falling short. There was something depraved inside of him. There was something broken, if you would, inside of him. His confessor, meaning the person he would go and confess to, would get overwhelmed with him because this guy would confess every little thing. And this, his confessor was like, man, I, I don't even know what to tell this guy anymore, right? Like, how many Hail Marys and our fathers do I tell him to do? How many penance do I tell I mean, it was overwhelming. And then Martin Luther studying the scriptures came to the book of Romans chapter 1 verse 17 and that verse the just shall live by faith rocked his world it changed him and in a deep way to where he was willing to lay his life down and say, man, I'm willing. And he didn't want, listen to me now, he didn't want to create some revolt against the Catholic Church. What he wanted to do was he wanted to bring life to this church, but they were unwilling to repent. They were unwilling to hear the truth of their need for faith alone. Sola fide. Faith alone in Christ alone. 
And when we look at Romans, that's what Romans should do for us. And so when you look at the book of Romans, you can break it down into either two parts or to seven sections. And so if you're going to break it down into two parts, chapters 1 through 11, those would be the indicatives of the book, right? So for 11 chapters, this is what I'm telling you. I mean, this is deep stuff. I mean, you saw, and we'll look at it again, um, verses 1 through 7, what, I mean, Paul in his greeting, we could stay in his greeting for like a week. I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, seriously, like you could sit in that greeting and just stay there for a week and just mine the truths that are there. We don't have time to do that. I have like 22 minutes, right, to do this. <laughs> but nonetheless, right, the reality is that he is, uh, he, he lays down so much truth. So for 11 chapters, he brings forth this truth. I mean, he, he, he excavates it and he drops it on us for us to understand the indicatives. And other, and other books, like went through the book of Ephesians, you remember it was broken down in two sections, the indicatives and the imperatives, right? Remember chapters one through three, those were the indicatives. Chapters four through six, those were the imperatives, right? So we have this in this book. And notice the difference though, the, the imbalance, if you would, chapters one through, tw- one through 11, those are the indicatives. Chapters 12 through 16, those are the imperatives. That's, that, that's an easy way to break down the book of Romans. Or you can break it down into seven sections. And so that's how we are going to walk through this book together. Not exactly like this, but you have the introduction, which is what we're going through, which would be the first section. Um, chapter 1, 1 through 17. And then the second one would be sin, righteousness demanded. Chapter 1, um, 118 through chapter 3 and verse 20. So the Gentiles are guilty. The Jews are guilty. The whole world is guilty. That's what we're going to see when we walk through those passages of Scripture together. Um, the third um, section would be salvation, righteousness declared. And so it's justification stated, justification illustrated in Abraham, justification explained in Adam. And then the fourth section would be sanctification. That's righteousness defended. And so chapters 6 through 8 show us victory over the flesh, liberty uh, over the law, and security that we have by the Spirit. And then we get to the fifth section here, which you guys are going to love this. I mean, anybody who has ever been in the book of Romans, this is where everybody gets confused and we close the book and we walk away. We shouldn't do that, though. Because there's beautiful truth that is there. And I want you to notice this. It is about the sovereignty of God. The righteous the righteousness declined. And so who declines it? Well, we see it here clearly. And you need to grasp this. If you're going to read chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Romans correctly, you have to understand who it is dealing with specifically, and it is Israel. We have to grasp that because if not, we will make up doctrine and we will try to fit our doctrines and our beliefs leaves into that book and that is not the goal that I have I want us to pull out the truth from scripture not try to put in my truth or my understanding into the scripture and some of you are going to like what is going to come out of there some of you are not and it's okay I'm going to like some stuff and I'm not going to like some stuff that's just a reality that's how the bible is right that's how the scriptures are sometimes we like what's there sometimes we're like yes amen this is awesome other times like nah man I don't want that and, and in Romans 9, you might go through that, but it's Israel's past riches, Israel's present rejection, and Israel's future restoration. And so um, Paul, being a Jew at heart, being an Israelite at heart, having a passion for them, and dealing with some arguments that they were having, you'll see as we get through there and understand the sovereignty of God better. The, the, um, the sixth section there is service, and this is where we get into the imperatives of the scripture, and that's the righteousness demonstrated. So because we're saved, we're supposed to live a certain way. Because we're saved, we're supposed to honor God in the church body, in society, toward the weaker brother. And then the conclusion, chapters 15 and, and 16. And so, again, I repeat that quote from Martin Luther. 
It is no wonder that he says this. Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word. What a high call, is it not? <laughs> to know 16 chapters word for word. And this guy is saying we should dig that way. We should commit it to memory that way. To know it word for word by heart but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or, or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. I want to say this. I want you to think about this. An unfounded faith is an indefensible faith. An unfounded faith is an indefensible faith. If you don't have a solid foundation to your faith, you cannot defend your faith. If you don't have a solid foundation to what you believe, you cannot defend what you believe. When someone comes and asks you, why do you believe what you believe? Are you going to just fall back on I'm a firm guy. I have a pretty powerful testimony, right? I'm a guy that's been saved from gangbanging, crazy living. I'm a guy that God delivered from all of that. And I could just stand on that. Like, I know what it's like to be a guy that was addicted to drugs, a guy that was involved in all kind of heinous sin. And now I come to know Jesus because I encounter God. I could stay there. And I could be okay, right? But here's the thing. My, my faith has got to be more than just experience. Faith must be experienced for sure, but my faith has to be more than experience. My faith has to be upon something that, listen, I can, I, I can, I can apply to everyone because you know what's going to happen. Here's what happened. It's, it's happened to me plenty of times. I've shared my testimony, and I'm excited, stirred up, sharing with somebody what God did in my life, and they're like, yeah, you really needed Jesus. In other words, you really needed Jesus, I'm okay, right? Because that's what they're saying. They're saying, yeah, you really had a need for God, but I'm not bad like you were. Oh, no, we're all bad like I was. <laughs> we're all sinners equally in need of a Savior, and that's what Romans does for us. Romans levels the ground clearly. Romans knocks down every idol that we ever had as we go through this, and it gives us the ability to defend the faith. Why does everyone on the planet need to hear the gospel? Romans is going to show us that. It's going to give us the foundation that we need. And so I hope that you're excited as I am. If you can't tell, I'm a little excited. I've wasted uh, or spent, not wasted, but I've spent a long time of my 22 minutes. Now I have like three. No, I'm just kidding. I have like 10. But nonetheless, we're going to run through this. And I mean run. We're going to run like fast. And, I, and I'm sorry about that. Um, but the first thing that I want you to repeat after me is this. Say, a founded faith, faith. is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. A founded faith is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, right? And so I, I, I want you to grasp this truth because the apostle Paul, and we won't go through every single thing here, but look what it says. The, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. The apostle Paul is instructing or introducing himself to his Roman readers in an attempt to connect with them. And here's why this is important for us to understand. Paul did not found this church. Peter, the apostle, did not found this church. And I want you to grasp Rome was the city, okay? And right now we have, a, you know, a Roman Catholic church that believes like Peter was its founder. The reality is that's not true. As a matter of fact, God made it so that way nobody knows who was the founder of the church in Rome. We just know the church came to be. Why does God do that? Because the foundational rock is Jesus Christ. 
And what's believed is that the people that were there in the upper room experience in the book of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came down, all the people that were from the different places, when they went back to their cities, they shared the gospel. The power of God was there. And now Paul is writing from prison, he, or he's writing to them and saying, hey, I want to come to you. I want to be with you. I want, I want to be there. But he's introducing himself to them. And I, and I need you to get this because this is so important when considering this letter that will and has shaped the faith of the church. This book that we're reading, this, this, this epistle that we are reading and going through here, this is more responsible for our faith than probably any other epistle that is there because of how robust it is in the, in the gospel doctrines of truth. And what we have here is we have to understand who was communicating this. Then and now, we must ensure we are being taught God's word from God-appointed and anointed messengers. Are you here? We have to be sure that we are not just listening to anyone, that we are not wait. Listen, I want you to know this. I don't know about you. I know about me. I don't have a whole lot of time to waste, right? I'm a pretty busy guy, and I don't have time to spend an hour or 30 minutes or 45 minutes on a sermon from someone who God didn't appoint and God didn't anoint. Are you here? I don't have time for that. I don't have time to spend my time that is precious. And worse than that, have, have myself listening to garbage. You know, I always said this when I was a youth pastor, and I say, garbage in, garbage out. That's the reality. And if I'm putting garbage into myself from garbage teachers, from those that don't belong preaching God's word, then you know what ends up happening? I end up living a life that looks like that. I end up, pro, I end up pro, pro, proclaiming a false gospel. And so it's so important for us to think about what does the Bible show us? How can we measure if someone is one that is called by God as a preacher or teacher of his word? The first thing I want you to notice what he says. When he introduces himself, he says, Paul, a bond servant of Christ, of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we understand, you want to know if someone is called? Are they first and foremost a servant? Are they first and foremost a servant? Sister Sarah, she's not here right now, but her and I were talking the other day, and she's like, man, we need to do a servant's conference. Hello. You know, because we have all these other conferences out there, but a servant's conference, right? And I think there are probably some or whatever. But just like, you know what? We want to call you the church to serve. That's what we want to call you to do, right? We call it, we, we committed every week. We know we're committed to loving God. We're committed to growing together. We're committed to serving, right? Like that's what we do, we, because we understand that serving. But Paul is saying, I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He is a guy that understands, and when you think about that bond, there is a debt that is there. He feels a weight of responsibility. More than anything else, more than the responsibility to preach, more than the responsibility to have you hear him, it is the weight that he feels as one who is a bond servant to Christ. He owes Christ everything. And it's not because God is dangling over him the debt that he owes, or the debt that he paid, it's because Paul understands the debt that was paid for him. Because Paul understands the depth of his sin. Listen, you wonder why I talk about sin so much, man? It's because we have to understand the depth of our sin to appreciate the greatness of God's grace. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. So he is one that is a bondservant. He is called by God to be an apostle or one who is sent. He has authority for a task. He is one that is a bondservant, but he also has authority. He also has a certain, and listen, so it's important for us to respect authority, right? It's important for us to honor authority, to recognize that. It's one, first of all, the person who is a bondservant, that, that one that serves, that one that is not, not looking to be served, but the one that serves, but also understands that they have been given an authority that comes from God. 
They're walking in an authority of God. You know what the problem is? Here's the problem that we have with a lot of folks today. They understand number two. They, 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 they ignore number one. They understand their authority. They understand their position. They understand who they are, but they forget that they are supposed to be first and foremost bond servants. They are first and foremost bond servants. And then the third thing is what? He is separated to the gospel. I love this. Look at this with me. I mean, this is so, so rich. This is so awesome here. He goes and he says that he is separated to the gospel. Verse 2, he says, which he promised. The gospel of God. Separated to the gospel of God. So first, he's a bond servant. Second, he's called to be an apostle. Third, he is called, he is separated to something. He is separated to the gospel of God. And he goes on and he breaks down what this gospel is. And so because we have to know the gospel, we have to grasp this. Which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Notice this. This message that Paul is bringing is not some new message. Are you here? This is not some new message that all of a sudden he's bringing. I'm bringing this new truth, tr tr truth forth. No, no, no. This was a message that was promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. We go back to the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel that is preached there. And what is the apostle? He's, he's pointing us back. All throughout the Old Testament, there has been this communication of this Savior that was coming, these prophecies about this Messiah that was coming. And Paul is saying, listen, this is the gospel that I'm preaching. This is the gospel that I'm bound to. This is the gospel I've been sent to represent and proclaim it is a gospel that is rooted in holy scripture and what is it but what is it concerning concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh so the first thing he points out is he saying what he's saying this gospel is about a person and that person fulfilled everything that the prophecy said because he was born mother and father you look in the book of Luke you look in the book of Matthew you see two genealogies one of them is the, is the genealogy of the mother the other one is a genealogy of the father and what do they both point to both of them by the flesh were what they were both of the seed of David they were of the house of David which is important because of what God does look God didn't even have to do this check this out this is how awesome God is okay God could have taken any man and let him be Jesus's stepfather while he was on the earth are you here he could have done that you want to know why because it didn't matter because the seed of the man did not make Jesus it was the Spirit of God who impregnated Mary and Mary herself was of the house of David are you are you are you tracking with me here all by herself she Jesus already fulfills the prophecy but you know what God does just because he wants to up one he says check this out his adoptive father is gonna be from the house of David too so nobody can say that whether through adoption or whether through conception, this guy is from the house of David. No question. No question. And then he goes on, he says, he moves on from there, and he says, well, I'm sorry we're running, but we got to run. Um, and, 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 and verse 4, he said, and declared. So the first thing is this. He comes forth as the son of God, and then he is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by what? The resurrection from the dead. What is our faith rooted in? It is rooted in this truth that this Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies and he was shown to be the Son of God because of what? Because he rose from the dead. That's enough. Look, we can go home right now. He is the Son of God. We're not, but we could. But here's the thing. He is the Son of God. And why do we know he's the Son of God? Because he did something that no one else could do. He rose from the dead. He did 
something no one else had the capacity to do. He rose from the dead. And this is why the Apostle Paul later on is going to talk about he's not ashamed of the gospel. Because these prophecies were declared over him. And so we know what? We know that through him, we have what? We have been, through him, we, we also have um, received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. And so the apostle Paul, he is an apostle, but also we all have this grace that we've received because of the gospel. We all have this apostleship. All of, see, he is an apostle with a capital A, right? But we all have this apostolic thing that is over us. So I remember Pastor Aldo, one day he was reading the book of Romans years ago. He might not even remember when he asked me this. But he was like, man, is, is, he, is he saying here that we all are? Like, he was, he, he was reading and, and he was seeing it. I was like, I, at that moment, I didn't have the time to really, like, dig into that um, particular portion of Scripture. And I remember saying, yeah, man, it, you know, it could be saying that. But through him, we have received grace and, and note it, and this, this is why this is so important. Because he didn't say, through him, I have received grace and apostleship. He said, through him, we have received grace and apostleship. For what? For obedience. Listen, you want to know if you're saved or not? Are you obeying God's truth? Are you here? I didn't say your obedience saves you. That's not what I said. But you want, the Bible tells us to check ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith, right? That's what the scripture tells us. How am I going to check myself? Oh, well, I believe, I believe right. Yeah, well, if you believe right, but you don't live right, there's a problem, right? Like, like one, one of the big arguments that we have now, I, I think I told you guys this a couple of weeks ago. You know, I'm, well, I didn't tell you this part, but, um, you know, Martin Luther King Day um, weekend, you know, on that, that particular Sunday, I was talking about this. But one of the big issues that we have in our day today is that you have people that they are, like, opposed and they have issues with the church. So there's some people, not, every, not a lot of people, not, not everybody, but some people are opposed to the church celebrating um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. because he was not orthodox in his beliefs. In other words, there were things he didn't believe about Jesus. Jesus. If you go back and you study history, it's proven he's made it clear in things that he said that he didn't believe in Jesus. So question is, was he saved or not? I don't know. But here's what I do know. His actions were aligned with the truth of scripture, right? His way of living. But then here's, here's what happens on the other side of the spectrum, because this is what I didn't tell you. I'm part of a group that is like a racial reconciliation group. And in this group, there's some people that are there. And, I, and I'll be honest, I, you know, sometimes I get rocked by these guys. Sometimes I'm like, man, I don't even agree with what y'all are saying. But it's okay. You got to be around people sometimes you don't agree with if you're ever going to make any, any way. You get around people that all agree with you, you're not going anywhere. Right? You get, especially when you have scripture, right? But, but here's what they, what, what they start to say. This, this is what these people start to say. Well, hold on a second. We're over here bombing, um, you know, Dr. King because of his beliefs. But what about all of these Christian theologians that had slaves and never spoke up? What about them? What about their orthopraxy? What about their practice of their faith? Because we quote them hands down, right? I mean, Martin Luther, I just quoted him for you, and, and, and to my knowledge, this guy, he, he was anti-Jew. Are you here? That was wrong. That was it. I, that's inconsistent with Scripture. It's just a reality if you study history. And I'm not afraid of history. You know why? Because the only history that really matters to me is the one that I just explained to you here, that this Jesus was born of the seed of David, and he rose again by the power of God. That's the history that matters to me as a church. I don't have to defend John Knox. I don't have to defend Martin Luther. I don't have to defend John Calvin. I don't have to defend John Wesley. I don't have to defend any of these people for any of their sinful ways. You know why? Because they're not Jesus. But the reality is this, is that my beliefs should do what? They should shape my practices. 
They should shape the way I live. And so Paul tells us this. So we know that someone is a teacher sent from God because they're a servant of Christ, because they are called by God to do this work, because they are separated to the gospel, and because they are on a mission to do what? To proclaim the gospel in their life as they're on that mission is walking in obedience to the truth. That's how we test if someone is true or not. It cannot be overemphasized. Our faith must be guarded from false teaching. Please hear me when I say this. Jesus shed his blood so that we could have access to God, so we could be set free from our sin, and so we could know him truly. False teachers will lead us astray and leave the foundation of our faith wanting and indefensible. When we listen to false teaching, that is what will happen. And when Paul introduces himself to the church, he wants to make it clear, I am, I am a teacher that has a resume and I have been sent by God. And so it's important for us to understand that it's important today to guard against anybody telling us things. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, say a founded faith is an encouraging faith. A founded faith is an encouraging faith. And so, again, we're going to run through this, but Paul says what? He says, first of all, in verse 8, he said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Now, listen to this, that your faith is spoken to, spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, I want you to know, Paul would not be thanking God for a faith that was spoken bad about. Are you here? Let me say that again. Paul would not be thanking God for a faith that was being spoken bad of. Their faith was an encouraging faith, and we have to grasp that he was encouraged by their faith. The apostle Paul had heard of their faith. He says here, the whole world has heard of your faith because they're talking about it. What does he mean by the whole world? Let me just explain to you. He means the Roman Empire. All, led, all, all, all roads led to Rome in those days. Rome was the centerpiece. Everybody went there. That was, the, that, that was the capital of that whole area there. And so people were coming in and coming out, and Paul was hearing them speak about these Roman believers and their faith was encouraging to him and so Paul here's, here's what I, I understand is that our faith in Christ may not be accepted everywhere but our faith should be spoken of in a positive light somewhere are you here it may not be spoken of everywhere and, and, and everybody embrace it. That's not the goal here. That's never going to be reality. Listen to me. If everybody likes you, there's a problem. I mean, they hated Jesus, right? Like there were people that hated Jesus. And so Jesus said that if he was hated, we would be hated. So if you're not hated at some point, at some time for the faith, then there is a problem. The apostle gives us an example, and again, we're running through this. He gives us an example to follow. When we hear of the faith of others, we should be thankful for them, we, which should lead us to pray for them, which should lead us to love them, which should lead us to sense a burden for God's calling to make disciples, and it should lead us to want to be with the body of Christ. I'll say that one more time. When we look at the example of the apostle Paul that he breaks down for us here, he heard of their faith. And when we hear of the faith of others, you know what it should do? We should be thankful for them. Are you here? You should be thankful for the faith of other people when you hear of their faith. And that should lead you to do what? It should lead you to pray. This guy says, Paul says, the apostle Paul says, he prayed without ceasing making mention of them. Without ceasing, he's making mention of them. And so he's praying for them. And he loved them. There was a love. You know what happens when you start praying for other people? Love and your love starts growing in your heart for them. You want to get over offenses towards people? Start praying for them. You want to be able to tolerate people and deal with people and care about people? Start praying for them. 
as you start praying for them. I can't tell you how many times my eyes have been open about people while I'm praying for them. Where, where I felt a certain way when I started praying for them, and as God begins to soften my heart as I'm lifting them in prayer, all of a sudden my perspective on them changes. Compassion comes out because I can just tell you right now, like one of the gifts that I'm the lowest in is compassion. I'm just being honest. I walked in here this morning, and these guys will tell you. I walked in, and as I walked in the door, I, I was like in just business mode, and I looked over, and I thank God for Brother Isaac because Brother Isaac stuck his hand out like this, which was like a signal, like, bro, say hello. <laughs> and Lewis was standing right next to him, and Lewis was like, bro, you were just going to start barking orders right now. I'm like, I was, and I do apologize for that, right? <laughs> Because I'm just not, I'm not thinking about stuff. And so compassion is not like my greatest gift. It's just not. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm, not, I'm not a soft dude like that. I'm sorry. Pray for my wife, please. Pray for my daughter. They need, they need Jesus and me, like big time. But, 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 but the reality is, like, that's not it. But when I start to pray about stuff, right, when I, when I haven't been compassionate, right, like me and Pastor Otto were talking about our amazing parenting, glory to God, it's so awesome, I'll, I'll just talk about me, right, where he was counseling me at the moment, but, you know, the reality is, like, like, like when, I, when I'm nasty, when I'm rude, I can tell you right now, you want to know where I get broken? I don't get broken in the argument, I don't get broken in the conversation, I don't get, listen, I don't even get broken over tears, I'm just keeping it real with you, but when I go and I pray, oh my God, I can't even talk to you right now. I'm like, I can't even speak. I, I need to go talk to my wife. I need to go talk to my daughter. I need to go, to, I need to go and apologize. Like, I need to, I need to come, come correct. Because what? Because I'm praying for them. I'm praying about the situation. God changes us as we pray. And then as we're praying, we should have a burden for God's calling to make disciples. As we pray, as we grow in love, we should sense the call to make disciples. And we should want to be with the body of Christ. Here's the deal. Our goal as the church is not to be liked by, liked by everyone. It's to be righteous in our culture. Are you here? It's not to be liked by everyone, but it doesn't mean we have to be jerks about it. Are you here? It doesn't mean we have to be foul. It doesn't mean we have to be nasty. It just means that the fact is we're not going to be liked by everyone, and that's okay. That's not the goal. The goal is for us to live righteously. Our culture is more and more opposed to morality rooted in biblical righteousness. Therefore, we become the enemy. But when we are a people who are praying, living for Christ boldly, and loving others sincerely, our faith will be encouraging. Are you here? Because when everything we do is rooted in love, is grounded in love, is bathed in prayer, when everything we're doing, you know what, even though people are like, man, I don't agree with anything that that guy stands for, but you know what, he loves. I don't agree with what that, you know, that, that lady there, she's too bold, man, and I, 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 don't, I don't agree with her, but you know what, she loves. She's not just mean, she's not just inconsiderate, she's not just, she's not just being rude, she has some real convictions, and I, I disagree with them, but I see something in them. And you want to know what, when you like that, guess what happens? Even though they don't agree with you, when they need God, guess who they're coming to? Third thing I should repeat after me is this. A founded faith. Come on, say that again. A founded faith. There we go. Is rooted in God's power. A founded faith is rooted in God's power. And here's our memory verse. And I'm already like five minutes over. So just know you're going to be running a little bit late. But here's the thing. Hope you didn't have a reservation right at 1030 because you're going to miss it. I assure you. But here's the deal. For I, for I, for I, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is the heart of this epistle. The reason why it's our memory verse, it is the heart of this epistle. 
This is what it is. That we have to understand where the power of God for salvation is. It is in the gospel. Everything that moved the Apostle Paul was the gospel. He was one that was 100% given to the gospel. This is the heart of the, of, of the Apostle Paul. His life had been rocked by the truth that was revealed in the righteousness of God. That what? That we need to put faith in Christ alone. Again, again I want you to understand this. That Martin Luther was not the first guy to get rocked by the book of Romans. And, and, and the book of Romans haven't even been written yet. Are you here? The guy who wrote this book was the one who got rocked by the truth that comes from the Old Testament. I believe it's Habakkuk where he says the just shall live by faith. And Paul is rocked by that truth because he starts to encounter this Jesus and he understands everything he's been doing to try to earn his salvation is all for naught because he needs a savior that is greater than himself. His righteousness fails and he comes to the end of himself and he understands, my God, Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only answer. And he's not just the only answer one day, he is the only answer every day. He is the answer every day because some days I'm walking on water with Jesus. Some days I'm climbing the mountain. Other days I'm in the pit. Other days I'm sinking in the water. Other days I'm struggling in my faith. I am hurting and I'm not living that victorious life. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough. Paul reminds us of this truth in this scripture. And so the apostle, he was what? He was indebted to Christ. He was eager and ready to share Christ. And he was unashamed. He was unashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's a, there, I, my daughter had this shirt, and I have a, I have a slide there that I asked them to um, put up. But my daughter had this shirt, and so do you see what that says? Tell me what that says. Right. You know what I thought it said? Una shamed. And the only reason why you knew that it was unashamed, I'm going to tell you why you knew, because I just said the word unashamed. But if you would have saw somebody walking with that shirt, and I was like, man, what on earth is this even trying to say? But anyway, you know, I, I just put that up there because I thought it was funny. But nonetheless, like, I'm, like, I'm like, were they illiterate or were they ashamed? Anyway, anyway, anyway. Here. <laughs> the reality is this, is that Paul says that he was not ashamed. Here's my question. Why does he bring that up? Why does he bring that up? What, is he, what does he have to, is there a chance that there can be shame? Well, here's what you have to understand. Paul had his reasons for being ashamed. We have our reasons for potentially being, when I say he had reasons to be ashamed, I mean he had reasons that there could have been shame. First of all, he was coming to Rome with their power, with their prestige, with their prominence. He's coming there to these people and he's talking about this poor Jewish guy that died on a cross. Are you here? That's what he's talking about. He's coming to them saying, hey, you guys that are powerful, you guys that are mighty, you already think low of Jewish people. Crucifixion is the worst way for someone to be crucified, and I'm going to come and preach about this Jew that was poor. He wasn't even a rich Jew. He was a poor Jew. And, and, and not only that, but he ends up on a cross. And then it sounds like a fable because you're saying, oh, and by the way, he rose from the dead. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Why does he say he's not ashamed? And I, you can write this down if you're taking notes. It's because of the origin of the gospel, the operation of the gospel, the outcome of the gospel, and the outreach of the gospel. The reason why he wasn't ashamed was because of the origin of the gospel. It was the origin of the gospel, the operation of the gospel, the outcome of the gospel, and the outreach of the gospel. The first thing is the origin of the gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
The origin of the gospel is why he wasn't ashamed. We already talked about that earlier, so I won't, I won't continue to, to talk about it, but I want to make this clear. The reason why the gospel is true is because God is the originator of it. Are you here? God is the originator of it. Jesus already proved that he was trustworthy. And so the, 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 the origin of the gospel is why he wasn't ashamed. The operation of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, the dunamis of God, or what we get our English word dynamite. It is the dynamite of God. It is the gospel when it comes forth through our lives, when it comes forth in preaching, that it begins to ignite something in the heart. It is the power of God that awakens that dead soul. It is the gospel that we proclaim that awakens life. It is that thing. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of that because you know why? He encountered it. Amen. Because in his righteousness, he was dead in his trespasses and sins. And on the road to Damascus, the power of that gospel came to his life and changed him forever. And so he understood about the origin of the gospel because he was well-versed in the Old Testament. And from personal experience, he knew about the operation of the gospel. He understood how the gospel operated. And then he understood the outcome of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Listen to me. You cannot be saved. And if you are not saved in here, if you do not know Jesus, you cannot know him and walk with him apart from the gospel. Nobody can be saved apart from the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God under salvation. And, and, and then it's not just that. It's not just the origin. It's not just the operation. It's not just the outcome. But it is the outreach. And notice what he says. For all who believe. For anyone who believes. Anyone who hears the gospel and believes it can be saved. Whether Jew, whether Greek, whether slave, whether free, whether man, whether woman, whether child, whether adult, it doesn't matter. The operation of the gospel, it is God's power. The outreach of the gospel is to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. But in, in the power of the gospel can be saved. In the gospel, we recognize our powerlessness to earn God's favor, which is our salvation. But... That God freely gave his son and Jesus fully gave himself as our ransom. Let that sink in. He gave himself as our ransom. He paid the price for our salvation. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Listen, on your best day, if you could multiply that by 10,000, you would never be good enough to appease God's wrath against your life. Because in your heart, there would still be sin. Jesus was our ransom. And what does the gospel call us to do? He ends that verse and he says, For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What is that? From faith to faith, from beginning to end, our salvation, it's all of faith. It's not works. It's not what we do. And that is why Martin Luther, finally, he could breathe. After all of those years coming to his confessor, after all of those years wrestling and beating himself because he wanted to stop sinning, he finally experienced this release and this relief because what? He no longer had to do what he had to do. All he had to do was trust in Jesus. That was all he had to do was trust in Jesus. 
God wants us to have that foundation in our lives that we will live by faith listen that not that we will make a decision of faith but that we will live by faith and the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus standing firm upon a foundation that doesn't move see that's the beauty of this See, foundations, other stuff moves. You know, we're getting ready to go skiing, and you know what's going to happen? It's going to feel like the ground is moving. Hello. That mountain, I assure you, is not moving. We are, and I'm sure I'm going to fall. Glory to God. But if I just stand still, I'm not going anywhere. And it's that that God wants from us, that we will stand firm. That no matter what happens, I am living by faith. No matter what I'm feeling, I'm living by faith. No matter what is coming my way, I'm living by faith. Why? Because my feet are firmly planted upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. That is what the book of Romans is about. And so here's my closing question. Are you or what are you standing on? What are you standing on? Are you standing on solid ground? Or are you standing on sinking sand? What are you standing on? I want to read this and then I'm going to close. On May 24th, 1738, a discouraged missionary. Listen to what I just said. A discouraged missionary. I just want to pause. Missionaries, in my mind, are probably the most holy people ever, right? Because they leave, like I'm talking about like overseas missionaries, right? They leave all of their comforts, all of their commodities, right? And they do what? They go follow a call from God into places where they could die, right? Into places where they don't know anybody, to places. I mean, that, that's, pretty, I mean that's pretty big. Like, you really got to trust God to do that. All right, we all agree. So this is a discouraged missionary. He went very unwillingly to a religious meeting in London. There, a miracle took place. About a quarter before nine, he wrote in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Hmm. That missionary was John Wesley. The message he heard that evening was the preface of Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. Just a few months before, John Wesley had written in his journal, remember, he's a missionary, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? That evening, in the Aldersgate Street, his question was answered, and the result was the great Wesleyan revival that swept England and transformed the nation. Paul's epistle to the Romans is still transforming people's lives, just the way it transformed Martin Luther and John Wesley. The one scripture above all others that brought Luther out of mere religion into the joy of salvation by grace through faith alone was Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. And here's why I read this to you, because the Protestant Reformation and the Wesleyan revivals were both the fruit of this wonderful letter written by Paul from Corinth about the year AD 56 and so why is this important because my friends I pray for revival all the time I pray for God to revive your heart I pray for God to awaken you I pray for God to make you know him like you have never before and what I realize is this is that the only way that's gonna happen is through God's Word coming to life in your heart and so my prayer is that God will revive us and that we will all stand firm in the faith of Jesus Christ. Amen? So I'll stand on our feet and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much 
Thank you so, so much, God. I pray that you would revive our hearts, that you would awaken our lives, that you would show us the riches, the wonder, the beauty of the faith that you offer us, the grace that you have given us. God, we humble our hearts before you today. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on this earth as it is in the heavens. Holy Spirit, be glorified in our lives. May these truths come to life in us. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise if you would.